been a very challenging past few weeks for us as a church. And I would dare say that many of you are going to look back on this era of your spiritual journey, and you will say one day that this is some of the most life-defining, spiritually renewing, uh, defining months, really, in, in your life. I believe that October can be uh, one of the most defining moments for us as a congregation for the next five years, and that the days to come will have eternal implications for people, because I believe that in all the things we've been sharing, that this is a test. It is a test of the divine emergency broadcast system. It's, it's, it's going to be for each of us, but great is our reward in heaven. What reward could be greater than seeing more people in heaven? And so we choose to do uh, the best of things, sometimes in the worst of times. We choose to do the best of things, sometimes not the most comfortable of things, because we believe in an amazing Heavenly Father. And maybe you hear today Mordecai's words to Esther in Esther 4.14 from the Old Testament, when he said to her, if you keep quiet at this time, well, liberation and protection for the Jews will appear from another source while you and your father's household perish. It may very well be that you've achieved royal status for such a time as this. When we discuss leveling up in our faith and leveling up in our trust and today leveling up in our love, we realize that every decision is a spiritual decision that will have an impact not just for the day, week, month, but for years to come as a legacy of our faithfulness and obedience to the present and future vision of the church. And I hope that you get excited about what God is doing around this place and and you roll up your sleeves and become part of it. And what I hear most of us uh, having questions about, we're we're not asking the question, should I give or, or should I witness more for Jesus? Should I be more vocal about my faith? I'm not hearing people ask the question, should I set aside more time uh, of devotion to Christ and in serving through the church? The question that I hear stated most frequently is this, how much more can I give of my time? How much more can I honestly provide of my talent, of my treasure, and of my testimony in this initiative? And what does God expect from me? in the next three to five years. And today, what I want to help you do is think through your commitment biblically and prayerfully. And and I just want to say again, if you happen to be a guest here today, you can relax because we're not asking you for a thing. I don't want you to feel any pressure at all. I just want you to know that we are a church committed to transforming our homes. We're a church committed to transforming our communities and the world as we pursue God with with grace and love and we build community through fellowship and unleashing compassion. So again, if you're a guest, you can relax, but I want you to sit back and observe because through the course of this series and in this coming month, what I want you to see is not just a group of people who talk about loving Jesus and helping people and reaching the world. I want you to see us doing it. Now let me ask you a question this morning. When we talk about leveling up our love to God's heart, what does that look like? I want to share with you a scripture in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. In fact, why don't we read this out loud together this morning? Read this with me. 
Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Now, I love that imagery. Notice it says, live a life filled with love. And the question is, well, what does that leveling up kind of love look like in our life? Well, it tells us it's following the example of Christ. And what did he do? He sacrificed himself. Leveling up in love is a love that sacrifices. And then notice it's a sweet aroma, a sweet perfume before God. Now, if you have the scripture with you today, I want you to turn to Matthew, the 26th chapter. And in Matthew 26, we find that phrase again about the sweet perfume. And we see an example of what leveled up love really looks like. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I need more than just a definition. I need a demonstration. Somebody once described uh, sacrificial love in this way. It, it's giving up something that you love for something that you love even more. Giving up something you love for something that you love even more. And in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 6, we find an incident that that expresses, that demonstrates this kind of love. The same incident, it's recorded in, in John chapter 12 and in Mark chapter 14. And it's the account of a woman named Mary who anoints Jesus with a very expensive perfume. She gives up something that she treasures for something that she loves even more. And I think her example of sacrifice, it's a great example of what Christ wants to see in our lives sacrificed to him. Now Mary's act takes place at a very dramatic time and moment in the life of Jesus. John's gospel tells us it's just six days from the Passover. In other words, in less than a week, Jesus is going to die. It's a critical, it's an action-intense time period. And Matthew tells us that Simon the leper was the host of this party. Or maybe we should say Simon the former leper. Because Jesus has healed him of the physical, emotional, social, mental, and spiritual disease and made him well. Imagine how stoked Simon must be. To be back in his home, back with his family, back at a table among friends, healthy, whole, and clean. He had to be so excited. John's Gospel also tells us there was a man named Lazarus sitting at this dinner table. Anybody know where Lazarus has been in the past few days? He's been dead. He was in the grave until Jesus spoke his name and and called him forth from the tomb. He's gone from from death to life. And can you imagine the conversation happening around this dinner table? Once dead, now alive. He's probably talking about what he saw on, on the other side of death. Then there's Martha, a sister of Lazarus, and she was there setting the table cooking and cleaning and serving, and all the disciples are there. Food and drink is being consumed. Laughter and conversation are flowing. And and then there's the party that's for the man himself. There's Jesus. It's for him to celebrate him, to express love and honor for him. 
And all of a sudden, Mary, Martha and Lazarus' sister, is overcome with love and gratitude for Jesus. I mean, her brother was dead and he's alive again. And she takes a most valuable, prized, personal and family possession. An alabaster jar full of a very expensive perfume called pure nard. And by the way, you can't buy that in the store today. You can't go to Walgreens and ask for pure nard. You know why? Because it's not very hipster. It's not very romantic sounding. You know, honey, I just bought you some pure nard. It's not like Coco Mademoiselle by Chanel or Guilty Absolute by Gucci. But Mark's gospel tells us this perfume was worth a year's wages. Now, I want you to bear that in mind. I want you to think about your income over the course of 12 months. Now, for some of you, if you're college students, young people, you're thinking... That's not hard at all. It's not very much. But for most of us, think about what 12 months of income is like for you. That's what Mary blessed Jesus with. That's what she had the faith to give him. And in her time and in her day, it was a big, big number. And Mary impulsively decided to use the most precious gift that she had to express her love. She was so grateful. First, that Jesus had given her the word of life. She was so grateful for the friendship that she had with him that she could sit at his feet and learn and listen and he would honor her, that Jesus would bring her brother that she dearly loved back from the dead. And now she senses Jesus is about to die and she can't restrain herself any longer. And with unabashed emotion, she breaks open her her little treasure chest, this alabaster jar. And in Matthew 26, I want you to read with me in verses 6 and 7. This is what God's word says. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Suddenly, forks drop. The dinner chatter stops. And the scent of this perfume just permeates the house. Other dinner guests stare in astonishment as as Mary pours this extravagant gift all over Jesus. Because we know she gets down in John chapter 12, verse 3. It tells us she poured it on Jesus' feet. And she began to wipe his feet with her hair. Now, some of you, you grew up in homes where you weren't that expressive in how you showed affection and adoration and love. And I imagine in in that group around the table that night, there were some who were just like that. They had a little more than trouble with that kind of an emotional outburst. But at that moment, they were witnessing the example of someone giving up something they loved for something or someone, literally, that they loved even more. Mary knew Jesus was about to sacrifice his life for her. And even though these disciples that he'd gathered around him had heard him repeat it time and time again what was to come, it's this woman. It's Mary who truly listened. She understood and she knew. This was a very rare opportunity at a critical moment. And Mark says that Mary seized it. I love what Mark 14.8 says. It simply says she did what she could. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Because we always wonder, what can I do? 
You know, in our lives, we're not, we're not going to get a lot. But we're going to get a, a very few rare occasion to do some really great things as individuals and as a church. And I want you to think about that. There are moments that you were born for. And if you're a believer in Christ, there are moments that you were born again for in this world. And when those defining moments come, the opportunity to do something really, really great in that moment is to simply do what you can. And there's going to be voices in your head that say, whoa there. I mean, slow down and think about what you're doing. Don't get too amped up. I mean, this is just church after all. Don't, don't get too committed. Think about all this might cost you. Think about all the risks to you personally. But friends, if you're ever going to do something significant for Jesus, a love that levels up, it sees the opportunity, as the scriptures say, because these days are evil. And it overcomes the hesitancy and all the excuses that parade before us as common sense. You know what I love about this image of Mary and how her love just had to level up for Jesus? It gives every one of us a unique opportunity to unabashedly express our love for our Savior. To give up things that we love, our calendar, our time, our talents, our skills, our gifts, our treasure for someone that we love even more. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.25 that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And we have the opportunity to follow his example. And I would just say right here, if you have served as an elder in this church from the beginning or for a period of time, if you're serving now as an elder or if you have served as a deacon, then I want to challenge you to continue choosing to do the best of things, even in the most difficult of times. At the end of our services for the past few weeks, we've been listening to the elders read the, the list of qualifications for those who choose to serve. But, but let me challenge you men and your families. Guys, you have got to lead the way. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 says, you've got to be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them. That's intently, that's intensely, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. To me, that says everyone that served as an elder, everyone that served as a deacon, 100% should, should make a commitment to always be looking to increase the giving of their time, their talent, their treasure, and their testimony. And understand, these are not multimillionaires, okay? These are not entrepreneurs that just overflow with cash. These are hardworking people that just show up at their job every day, just like you. But if you need an example of men who are willing to sacrifice something they love for something they love even more, then look for their presence in the church. Look for their giving and their sweat equity in the church. Look at their willingness to sacrifice. It always begins from the top down. And elders and deacons and preachers, we can never lead people somewhere we are not willing to go ourselves but that sacrifice 
it brings a rich blessing and a growth in our lives that makes an impression on others. Now, when you do that, and when you choose to give up something you love, there are going to be others, disciples that raise their eyebrows and criticize you for being fanatical. Look at Matthew again in chapter 26, verse 8. It says, when the disciples saw this act of Mary, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume, it could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Now, that sounds like a reasonable objection, doesn't it? I mean, on the surface, it even has that smack of of spirituality. This perfume is worth a year's wages. You know, how many people could have been fed by the money this could have brought in? Something good could have been done with the money from that perfume. Why would Jesus accept? Why would Jesus tolerate such an extravagant sacrifice with multitudes all around us suffering in poverty? Didn't Jesus care about them? Now, I think it's interesting that John's gospel records, do you know whose voice shouted the loudest? It was Judas Iscariot. John chapter 12, verse 4 says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And then we're told he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And he proved his priorities later, not far from now, when he would sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And friends, that's not the last time somebody chose possessions over Jesus. That's not the last time that somebody robbed God. And I don't know of any group in this world that does more good to help the poor and the disenfranchised, and the homeless, and the addicted, and children that that are, are just lost than the church. And we are actively involved globally in Kosovo, and in Spain, and Haiti. We send, you know, responses for international disasters like the earthquake that hit Haiti. You'll remember bringing in packages of water bottles and, and sundries to send down to them. And we support IDES that are already there for the flood victims down in the south from from the hurricane that just went through. And they're already preparing to respond to the earthquake and tsunami victims in Indonesia that claimed 800 lives plus this week. We respond to students in need at the Mountain Mission School and then as well at, at the various children's homes by sending sheets and storage and towels and hygiene products and money for food. We have produced, collected, and distributed blankets for newborn children through the Pregnancy Resource Center and through the men and women's shelters here in Springfield. We're about to provide, once again, Thanksgiving meals for needy families, Christmas presents for children that would otherwise receive nothing. And my intention is to see that, that compassion, that is, those acts of love tripled in the next five years. Why would I say that? It's because I want to see your jaws drop. I want to see your jaws drop one day when you are commended before the Heavenly Father and, 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 and you say to Him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? 
When did we see you thirsty or give you something to drink or or seeing you as a stranger, we invited you in? When did we see you needing clothes and we clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And I want to see your jaw drop. But listen, friends, as much as I crave seeing people fed and clothed. More than that, they need to receive the bread of life. They need to be clothed with His Spirit. It's not that you just see a need and meet a need. It's that you recognize you're doing it for the brothers and sisters of Jesus Himself. He said, they are mine. One of my favorite books is a book called When God Builds a Church uh, by Bob Russell. And he wrote this. He says, imagine you could take a quantum leap back in time and land in Southampton, England in April of 1912. And imagine as you looked around, you saw a newspaper headline that read, Titanic to set sail on maiden voyage today. What would you do? Wouldn't you race to the harbor and try to persuade as many people as possible not to get aboard the ship? And he writes, you'd probably have very little success. What do you mean there's going to be a shipwreck? What what, what do you mean you know the future? Are you trying to spoil my vacation? Uh, You're telling me the Titanic is going to to sink and 1,500 people are going to die? God himself couldn't sink the Titanic. And you'd watch hundreds of people sail away on that ill-fated vessel toward a certain death. But then what would you do? Wouldn't you rush down to find a boat to go out and be there and try to rescue them? And what kind of boat would you get? Would you get a pontoon boat that could seat six people? Would you get a little bit larger boat, a motorboat that would seat ten people? No. Not a houseboat to seat 30. You would go after the largest yacht you could afford and you'd risk everything to reach hundreds and save hundreds of lives that were hanging in the balance. Friends, one of the things that I've repeated through these sermon series is this. We are on a search and rescue mission as this church. Here at the Springfield Church of Christ, that's what we do. And there are people drowning in the sea of humanity within 10 miles of this building that have no connection to a faith community at all. And with all the churches on street corners in Springfield, that's staggering to me. And if we really believe that Jesus is the only hope of the world, if we really believe that there is a heaven and a hell hanging in the balance for these people, then we ought to do everything possible to persuade as many as possible to get aboard his ship, to come aboard the faith that we have in Christ while they still have the opportunity. You see, when I look at this room in this place, and I consider the faith of those individuals 23 years ago that built this place, that probably faced the question, why are we building it this size? Why are we building it so big? I bet their response was, because we can't afford to build it any bigger. 
We need a place that's big so that we can save as many as possible. We're trying to get as many people off the sinking ship of this world and into God's rescue vessel. And let me just say, we have transferred a lot of the saved into other rescue boats that are assisting with the mission. And that just means we've got more room to go and to reach and to pull one more in for Christ. And we can't wait for a better economy. We can't wait for a better cultural opportunity with millennials and others. We can't wait because tomorrow, friends, may not come and the need is so urgent today. We need to address it now. See, faith, it's not just about making a token sacrifice. In the account of Matthew 26, Jesus, he let all the disciples know how he feels about Mary's sacrifice. Look in verse 11. He tells them, the poor you'll always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it beforehand to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, let's be honest. It doesn't matter what you give the Lord there will always be somebody who criticizes you. There will always be somebody who objects. Some will criticize about your serving through the church because they really are bringing into question your sense of judgment. They don't want to see you get too radicalized in your faith. They don't want to see you becoming a a, a fundamental fanatic. But you know, Springfield Church of Christ has been serving this community with integrity for 23 years now, for, for almost a quarter of a century. It's been a pretty solid investment of your time, of your talent, your treasure, and testimony. And if you give financially more, some will think uh, they'll, they'll object because you're giving away something they want for themselves. You see, you know the old saying is true, where there's a will, there's a relative, yeah? <laughs> and we all want to leave our children something, but, but I can just tell you from experience, few things damage the lives of kids more than leaving them things that they haven't earned or worked for. And as a preacher, I get to see your kids fussing and fighting over the silliest of things when you die. And it's really sometimes a pathetic display of greed and idolatry. But the bottom line about everything in your life is it doesn't belong to you anyway. Your time, it's a gift from God. The talent, the skills, the abilities you have, gift of God. Heartbeat that you have, gift of God. Finances you have, it's a gift of God. Your time on this earth, every day, every minute comes from Him. And as gifts, we need to recognize to always give Him the best first. And ask yourself, what kind of example am I setting for my grandkids or for my kids? Is going to see them grow up one day and say, let me tell you about my mom or dad. Let me tell you about Mama and Papa. They loved the Lord and they worked for his great church. They sacrificed for the great cause of, of God's kingdom. And some people may object because they don't like something that's going on at the church. Or they don't like some of the people in the church. And they'll say, well, well I don't want to get involved with that. I didn't support that program. Or I didn't, I didn't say I wanted those changes to happen. And I can't support this or that. Can I tell you something? There are things about SCC that that I don't agree with either. It's just true. And you know what? I can set apart the 95% of blessing that God has given us here, and I can focus on the 5% of things that I just don't agree with. 
And I could complain, and I could argue, and I could encamp myself and invite others to camp with me and pitch tent here. So much that I miss that 95% of the magnanimous blessing that God has given us. And I have to realign myself all the time. Because in the flesh, that 5% can pull pretty hard. You see, do you know where the strongest objection to you spending more of your service here or your time or your treasure here is going to come from? It's going to come from your own fallen human nature. The battle between your, your noble, godly self and your fallen, narcissistic self. And this voice will whisper in your ear, get real. You don't have any real talent. You don't have any real ability. You can't do this. Why would you want to give this? What's happening to you? And you start thinking about all the other stuff you could do with your time. All the other things you could do with with your finances. All the things you could be involved in. All the stuff you could buy. And you miss the blessing. It's important to remember in those moments that, that investing work or resource in God's kingdom on earth is the only investment that will bring a return for eternity. And if you have doubts about your investment in the vision of, of the church and what God wants you to be and do, then listen to this list of scriptures. I'm just going to go through these. Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you treasure the church? Luke 12, 15, Jesus said to them, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. Luke 6, 38, give and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, but since you excel in everything, you excel in faith and in speech and in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we've kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. One of my favorite stories and passages, 2 Samuel 24, 24, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And then 1 Timothy six seventeen, command those that are rich in this present world not to be arrogant and to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. Now listen to this. To be rich in good deeds. To be generous and willing to share. For in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that's truly life. Somebody once said this, and I agree. Treasures in heaven are laid up when treasures on earth are laid down. Treasures in heaven are laid up when the treasures on earth are laid down. Overwhelmed by the treasure that Mary had laid down, Jesus approved of her extravagant display of love. And he said to the disciples, why are you bothering her? You see, he knew. He knew this was a rare opportunity that that would not come again. For in a matter of days, he would be crucified. And friends, sometimes there are opportunities that come only around once in a lifetime. 
The poet C.T. Study once wrote the line, Two little lines I heard once day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life, will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would win a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life, will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I'll, know, I'll say it was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Friends, life is a, a divine opportunity to live for the sake of the call of Christ. Your time, your talent, your treasure, your testimony. Now I want to finish today. Uh, praise team's going to come up and lead us in a song decision, but I want to finish with a couple of questions. The first question is, where is your ultimate hope, really. What do you base your life on? Does your life revolve around family time? Does it revolve around possessions, health, happiness, uh, relationships, rich or poor, and each one of those things, we are all going to die. Just ask Burt Reynolds. Just ask Steve Jobs. Uh, is your hope in your own capabilities? Your intelligence, your, your achievement or training? Is it in your good looks, your position, your power? You see, one day your mind is going to start to slip. All the trophies you gain in this life will be tarnished and your body will change. To put your hope there would not be a wise thing. Is your ultimate hope in the entertainment of this world? In a love of books or movies? You know, I, I love to camp. I love to fish, I love sports, and, and those things make great diversions, but they make lousy gods. Where's your ultimate hope, really? There's only one hope that will last, and his name is Jesus Christ. And if your hope is in Jesus, then let me ask you the second question. What about your alabaster jar? You see, we all have one tucked away for a special occasion. And let me ask you, could this not be, this day, the occasion? And if not, what on earth are you waiting for? If Jesus and his kingdom are not worth your time, if they are not worth your sacrifice, then ask yourself that first question again. What is really my ultimate hope? For where your treasure is, there your hope will be also. God has brought us together. Listen, as the Springfield Church of Christ, and as Ben Merrill, a great preacher of the Restoration Movement, once said, this is the time, this is the place, we are the people. See, I believe God is asking us to break open our alabaster jars and sacrifice something we love for someone that we love even greater still. And could I remind you that God was the first to break his alabaster jar for you. Jesus' flesh was ripped and torn. His blood was poured out for you. Because God so loved the world, 
He gave His one and only begotten Son that whoever believed in Him would not perish but have eternal life. He gave His best. What can we bring Him? Would you stand with me this morning? And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there is not a soul in this room or outside this room today that does not have an unspeakable value, an eternal value to you. And if you love them, so can we. Father, help us to be a people that are persuasive by the lives we choose to live, by the time we offer to you and to your service, by the talents that we just give back to you, whether it's working on a car, whether it's working on a house, whether it's leading in worship, preaching, praying. Father, whatever the the gift we have, lead us to give it back to you. Father, whatever treasure you've entrusted to us, if it's two pennies or two million, help us to honor you with the best because you gave the best for us. And Father, if there's someone here this morning that just learned the value of the price tag on their soul, Help them come forward with courage to say, I accept what Jesus has done for me, that my sins can be washed away, that a time of refreshing can come. Transform their life, their heart, their soul. Father, for those that are believers, help us to each follow you and be an example to those that see us every day. In Jesus' name, amen.